The Washington Nationals. World Series champions. All right, good. I got a response from that. But how did they get there? Sure, it was a combination of incredible skill, good luck, and, and team play. But I think one factor, of course, is determined by who is on the team at this particular time. You know, sports management is always trying to navigate this tight balance of immediate success that comes at great expense versus developing young talent for success that may or may not come in the future. It takes big money to bring in proven veterans that will bring experience to the team. But sometimes that cost often comes at a cost of trading away young players for your future success. So as the city revels in its world champions, sports management, the managers of the Nats already have to make decisions of whether they can pull this off again in a year's time because some of their key players may be moving on. Okay, can you give me some credit? I gave you my first baseball story in a sermon, okay? All right, okay. I'm becoming a DC native here. <laughs> All right, baby shark in the back. All right, I think I've never seen that happen in a church, but <laughs> we're welcome, welcome that. So the question here is uh, that sports managers have to decide is, do I play the short game or do I play the long game of success? The question here, though, is not exclusive to sports managers. It's a question that applies to many decisions that we make, perhaps to our finances. You get a bonus. Do you spend this on a vacation or do you invest it for a future vacation or something that you want to enjoy? It happens in our relationships or in politics. And it even applies to our lives in God's kingdom. So the question for us today is how do we play this long game of God's kingdom? And the question behind that question is, what determines success in, life's, in God's kingdom? In today's text, Paul is sharing his final words with one of his dearest communities. It's the church of Ephesus. And when you hear someone's final words, not knowing if they'll ever see them again, you hear what's most important to them to pass on. Out of all of Paul's missionary activity up to this point in the story, he's been, he has spent the most time with the Ephesian church. And so he's en route to Jerusalem right now to bring an offering gathered by Jewish and Gentile churches from abroad to support the Jerusalem church because of the famine that they're experiencing. Paul himself sacrifices much for this long game of the kingdom, including being close to his dear friends. But he's got his heart set on something that is far more significant. And we hear Paul's heart expressed to them in these words, that the Ephesian church too can play this long game of kingdom by one, speaking words that build, Two, sacrificing for the cause. Three, seeking a worthy inheritance. And four, serving in unity. Speaking, sacrificing, seeking, and serving together. If you missed last week's message, you can catch up on our website or on a podcast. And in that message, Paul had adjusted what he was saying to his audience, an audience of Greeks who didn't have a Jewish backstory. But in today's text, Paul is speaking specifically to Christ followers and in particular, to leaders of this Ephesian church. And through his words to the Ephesian church, he reminds us of the importance of playing this long game of the kingdom through faithfulness to the gathered church. See, undergirding these instructions is a firm belief in the importance of the gathered church, like Washington Community Fellowship and other churches in this city, in the, 
the importance of the gathered church in the work of God's kingdom. Our faithfulness to God isn't just meant to be lived out in, as individuals, but as a gathered community and to be expressed as a gathered community. So it's in that framework that we hear these words from Paul. They are words to Christ followers who are part of this particular faith community. In verse 20 and 21, Paul tells them, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but taught you publicly from house to house. You know, typical of our 140-character Twitter world and headlines written to grab our attention, we live in a culture that is quick with its words. We latch on to sound bites, often out of context, of people who view things differently from us. Or if we're not that deliberate in tweeting, we simply unfollow or unfriend people on social media. Or we can do it in IRL, in real life. Did you learn something today? Okay. Paul's words here seem to align with the American values of freedom of expression of speech and speaking our minds. But if you dig a little deeper, you'll see that the goal of not hesitating to speak his mind is done to build others up. In the case of the Ephesians, it was to build up the church of Ephesus. In America, we're often more concerned about our right to speak our mind than speaking what's right and helpful for others. In fact, Paul reminds the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4.29, saying, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I think our nation could use a little more of this wisdom, right? We are entitled to our opinion. But Paul's words here remind us that particularly in the faith community, that is the church, we are to use our words to build each other up, to be helpful to one another. That's a lot different from our typical responses in our culture, like, or even in, within the church, like, I'm just going to withhold my opinion for the sake of keeping peace. Or I'm going to speak my mind because I feel triggered. What you say makes me feel triggered, so I've got to tell you how I feel. It doesn't mean that we can't do those things, but our goal is to speak words that build others up. What kind of words are most helpful? Paul continues, those that ultimately direct people to the reality of Jesus, that so they too may turn in, to Jesus in repentance and in faith. He pairs these two things together, repentance and faith, because they're two sides of the same coin. You see, repentance is turning from our own self-sufficiency, from our own rebellion, and turning from our own self-justification. It's turning from those things and turning to Jesus in trust and obedience. And trusting that his way is really the better way, even when we don't quite see how it is the better way, or when we don't always get it. One of the joys of our faith community here at WCF is that we are very different, with different experiences and different stories. But one of our gifts that we can bring to one another is to speak our words in ways that build one another up, to lend the diversity of our stories together rather than withholding them because we view things differently. We might have different priorities but we sh- in how we share God's love with those around us, but this takes a step of listening and of time and of effort to hear others, to hear the question behind the question that's being asked. This takes time to express our thoughts to one another and to speak words that build so that we can be a community that reflects the grace of our God. 
To play for the long game of the kingdom, though, Paul also reminds the church of the importance of sacrificing for the cause, which he embodies himself here. You know, we often need to know what game it is that we are playing and what the rules are. And anything apart from that is really wasting time. In verse 22 and 20 to 24, it, Paul tells us that he's compelled by the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit, and he's going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to him there. And he says, I can only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. But I consider myself life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and c- complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying of the good news of God's grace. You know, we all make sacrifices for what we think is important, right? Often it's reflected in how we spend our time and where we spend our money. For Paul, he was about to step into an unknown future, not only leaving dear friends for the cause of the mission, but he was expecting imprisonment and hardship and persecution. What's the mission that he's committed himself to? In his words, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's not just his mission, though. It's the mission that God has called all followers of Christ to, including here, us at WCF. And in light of the series that we've been walking through, this Thrive series, and coming out of the retreat a couple weeks ago, I want us to begin praying what it looks like for WCF to testify of the good news of God's grace, particularly to the community that God has placed us in, to this neighborhood, to this city, and to this region. You know, some of you have been here for a while, but for those of you who haven't, WCF has been instrumental in meeting the needs of this community in the past through the Neighborhood Learning Center, a ministry to after-school ministry to kids, the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center, uh, just a, a, a block away to help families in need. Cornerstone School was kind of launched out of here, and the Porch Youth Ministry. I'm not saying that WCF has to start new programs and institutions, but behind all of these organizations, as I was hearing the stories about them, was a group of people who said, I see a need. Things shouldn't be this way. This is what the good news of Jesus has to offer. And here are the gifts that we have as a community, and this is how we are going to respond. It's not about starting names and programs. It's about people who are responding to what God calls them to see. There's a need, there's a resource that we acknowledge, and there's an action that we are taking. As I heard stories of people, they, I, hear, I heard people who went into the community to see what the needs were, and they left positions of God's king, uh, to see God's king, positions in their, in their and, and time in what they were doing to make God's kingdom tangible here in this neighborhood. There were sacrifices made, and there will continue to be sacrifices to be made. And the sacrifices are to show this community that Jesus and his kingdom have something to offer particularly because God has placed us here. You know that, and I just heard this stat this week. In the next 10 years, it's projected that there will be 400 churches closing within D.C. city limits due to the changing demographics and the church's perceived increased irrelevance in the city. That's why so many of them are turning into condos. But I don't believe that has to be the future. Through this sermon series, we have been saying that faith communities made up of Christ followers have the greatest gift to meet the needs of those around us. But the church has to be focused on the right cause and the right mission. It's not just about coming to Sundays, not just about keeping our building. There's a mission out there. Because without that, 
Without being clear on our mission, we may be sacrificing for the wrong goal. The cause of God's kingdom is to help our world flourish in Jesus' name. And Paul was willing to forego his closest relationships to prioritize the work of God's kingdom. Now, this week I attended a conference on poverty and housing in the city. And Glenna Huber, it's a picture of her, she's the rector at the Church of the Epiphany. It's on G Street and I think like 14th, 15th, somewhere around there. It's got these bright red doors and it's kind of in the middle of these skyscrapers. And she was asked to reflect on uh, what shaped her ministry to vulnerable populations. And she credits a question that her family instilled to her as she grew up. You see, every time they would gather around the table, her parents would, wouldn't ask her, how was your day today? Instead, her parents would ask her, what did you do to serve your community today? I was like, wow, that's a big difference in what we talk about around our table. In some ways, her family set the tone for measuring the quality of her life very differently. Rather than acknowledging what she got out of the day, it was focused on measuring what she was able to contribute to others. You see, when we sacrifice for the right cause, it's because we believe in the worthiness of the cause. And questions like that help us to frame what is worthy for us to spend our time for. And the cause of Jesus invites us to testify of the good news of his grace. Speak words that build, sacrifice for the right cause, and seek a worthy inheritance. Paul says in 32, verse 32, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. You know, when we sacrifice, we all don't like to sacrifice, right? Because we often think of what we have to lose when we're sacrificing. But we fail to look at the reward. What Paul here calls the inheritance among all who are sanctified. We look at what we will have to lose in a sacrifice rather than what we have to gain. We often look at our resources as a zero-sum game, as something finite in source. But in God's economy, praise God, our resources are infinite. And that's why Paul can sacrificially live the way he is encouraging the Ephesian church to do as well. His service to them wasn't to get something from them. In fact, his service to the church was done by supplying his own needs so that he wouldn't be a burden to the church. He was able to do this because he knew that his inheritance that he was to receive in Christ was far more valuable. That's why he can say with all sincerity, quoting Jesus saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul knows that he is sacrificing for the sake of the cause, and that what, his sacrifice, what he is sacrificing pales in comparison to what he will come to know as, in, as in his inheritance. You know, for us who have come to know Christ, we have an eternal inheritance. Our eternal inheritance isn't something that we just receive in the future when we pass from this life, though. It's an eternal inheritance that we receive now with the blessing of God. It's an eternal inheritance that we see in changed lives around us. It's an inheritance with eternal implications when we observe how in people's lives they begin to see their own value and their own dignity. And they begin to see that their circumstances aren't what define them. And having a faith community come alongside them is part of that. And when they begin to see that, when we begin to see that happen, we see life life trajectories change. 
We see children experience community and stability and health. And we see their children after that. And we see that going to college is possible and getting jobs are possible and that lives are changed. There's people in our, con- in our community here who have been products of that over the years. And that's what we're inviting us to see, this kind of inheritance. I heard Pastor Joseph Daniels at Emory Fellowship in the Northwest Brightwood Park neighborhood of D.C., He shared a story of one gentleman who walked into his church for the very first time after they underwent a significant redevelopment of their church property to include 99 affordable housing units on the campus, including community space. This gentleman spoke with the pastor after the service and said, you know, I wanted to see the faces of the people and of the church behind this project. And when Pastor Daniels probed further, it turns out that This man was a new resident in the the affordable housing project. And he wanted to say thank you to the pastor and to the church because this was the first time in 30 years that he lived with his own place. In fact, it was the first time that he said, I actually have a key in my pocket in 30 years. What we take for granted, there are some people, neighbors in our city, who can't say that for themselves. This is an inheritance that's worthy of sacrifice. I heard another story this week. Um, Barry Martin was a construction supervisor overseeing a large project in Seattle. Nestled amongst this construction project was one reluctant elderly owner who refused to sell her home. Edith Macefield turned down $1 million for her home when the developer came knocking on her door because she wanted to live in her home until she passed away. So they built around her home. Actually, this happened around the t- same time that the movie Up came out, but it wasn't the inspiration for it. That's why the boat balloons are there. As construction went on, rather than casting off this stubborn neighbor, Barry Martin developed a friendship with her. He found out that because she had outlived her three husbands, she had outlived her son, she had no family. So Martin became Macefield's primary caregiver, making all of her meals, driving her to her appointments, and perhaps most importantly, keeping the old woman company. His job was to keep construction going, but he took time out of that job to sacrifice for Edith and ended up receiving an inheritance he never expected. Edith willed the house to him after she passed away. But more than the material benefit, we get to hear a story of someone who, doing his job, saw a neighbor who needed to be seen with dignity and to be cared for. And that, hopefully, that story hopefully encourages us with the same compassion. And that's a worthy inheritance as well, too. That will be passed on. You know, when we speak words that build, when we sacrifice for a worthy cause, and when we seek a worthy inheritance, we begin to see God's kingdom is far more real, far more tangible and immediate in this life than we might have expected. Playing the long game of God's kingdom isn't just about storing up treasures in heaven with good works that we do in this life. The good works that we do right now actually make a difference in eternity. In the final weeks of our Thrive series, we're beginning to brainstorm and explore what it might look like for us to to be a faith community that testifies of God's grace. So I want to encourage you, if you're in a catalyst group, keep up with the catalyst group. 
It, doesn't, it didn't end with the retreat. We're meant to, un, the conversations unfolding as we move forward. And that's one setting where we can explore what WCF is going to do to respond to the needs in our community. How exactly is WCF going to sacrifice for the mission of God in Washington, D.C.? That's going to require financial resources, but more importantly, people resources, your time and your relationships, so that we can be a community that's committed to serving in unity. The final verses, 36 and 37, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept, and they embraced him and kissed him. We see here in Paul and the Ephesian church this incredible depth of intimacy, but we also see an incredible unity, a unity in the body. They loved each other deeply, but they also loved the work of God's kingdom even more. There's a depth of love and unity that doesn't come from a place of control or out of insecurity. It's instead, it's a love that acknowledges the sadness of the moment and treasuring the relationships, but yet releases the other to the call of God. Our point so far, I've been looking at Paul's example of, of speaking words that build, of sacrificing for the right cause, and seeking a worthy inheritance. These sound like inspiring words to remember. But I think that if we're honest with ourselves, they're also pretty demanding. Like, how are we supposed to do this? Maybe that's good for Paul, but look at me. I'm just trying to pay my bills and pay my mortgage and take my kids to school, school without trying to kill them, right? And so, so, like, what is it going to do for, what does it look like for us to live according to Paul's example? It seems pretty hard to follow. What are we going to do with it? Well, maybe some of us are better than me here, and you're pretty good at doing those things, and you feel like you're crushing it. But I think for most of us, I think you feel crushed by it. What's the secret? The secret here lies not only in Paul's unity with the Ephesian church, but also with his union with the living God. John Calvin, the 16th century Reformation theologian, comments on, this, on Paul in this passage when he says, Paul's intimacy declares that the logic of sacrifice is now the logic of their life. His zeal has merged with love, and he speaks from the position of a compassion-filled co-laborer with Jesus, sharing in the divine ransom of the many by the one. His zeal is now merged with love. He speaks from a place of compassion as a co-laborer with Jesus. Paul's suffering is spectacular, and his commitment compels us to look But that shouldn't distract us from the depth of this communion that he enjoyed with the living God. Paul is embraced by God, and he's yielding to the Spirit of God, and he invites his listeners, including us, to do the same. You see, Paul's example here is not an injunction. It's not a demand. Instead, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to enter into this kind of union with God that he experienced, that enabled him to do all these things. That's how we, WCF, play the long game of the kingdom, is to stay close to the one who rules and the one who leads in the kingdom. We are invited into this intimate relationship that Jesus has enjoyed with the Father and the Spirit since the beginning of time. And in doing so, we enter into union with the one, the same one who exists before the beginning of time. And we begin to participate 
with the living God who is at work in this world. I believe that as we do this together, we'll begin to see the long game of God's kingdom, a tangible reality in our midst. Let's do that together by God's grace. Let's pray. Jesus, when we look at texts like these, they're inspiring, but we also say they're challenging because we say we can't do what Paul does in our own strength. We thank you that we don't do this alone. We ask for a filling of your spirit to point out those areas of our lives that we sacrifice in favor of against your kingdom. And we ask for your strength to hear your call and to walk obediently with you. Help us enter into this deep union that Paul experienced with you, Jesus. And help us to live out the words that we sang, that you are my delight, you are my reward, you are our inheritance. And out of that place of fullness, we see the, this city and this community and this world changed because we're testifying faithfully of your good grace. Help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.